0: Thank you for downloading our podcast. We are tempted to pursue a more tangible religion. We can fall into a trap and think we need more than Christ. But Hebrews assures us that Christ is all we need. Join us as we study Hebrews to learn more about our great Melchizedekian priest who presides in heaven and calls us on this wonderful earthly pilgrimage. Well, as I mentioned in the past, <clears throat> Hebrews 12 is a difficult uh, chapter to divine. The last few verses basically pick up from the exhortation of Hebrews 3 and also conclude the exhortation of Hebrews 12. Uh, Once again, we're reminded of the authority and power of God's Word, uh, that it cultivates life from death. It's important to understand that power as it goes forth, as Hebrews is driving home this reality of God speaking to us through this gospel message. And it truly is uh, God's revelatory word uh, that comes to bear upon us. And so as we hear about this life and the significance of Christ, and we know that Christ is significant, obviously is a great Melchizedekian priest, second person in the Trinity, the word from heaven. We know that in this significance we We ask them that question of why is the author of Hebrews, as he wraps up this exhortation, giving us this reminder of really why the Word of God is so significant, why Christ is so significant. And so, as we ask that question of why is God's Word so significant, so important, we'll divide our message into, once again, uh, reasserting the warning as we hear this warning that goes forth. We have promising a shakedown where the Lord is uh, reminding us that uh, His promise is still being manifested. And lastly, we're refreshed and exhorted in understanding who we are. So let's begin as we consider this reasserting His warning. The author of Hebrews in verse 25 um, is telling us, or literally telling us, to see, where he says, "...do not refuse him who is speaking." Uh, this is literally an, an exhortation that, that we're called to see. Uh, the implication of this is not something that is uh, just where blind people are called to all of a sudden receive sight, where if they don't receive their sight, that, that they're in sin. The seeing that's in view, the, the ESV is bringing into our, our language, is basically seeing through a scam. Uh, where you you see the implications of what an individual is doing that that you see through it and and you know that this is something that's not beneficial, and so it can be along those lines where you're basically seeing through the folly, seeing through the the disguise, whatever you want to say, and it's basically using wisdom and, and taking something to heart. So that's another way of of hearing this that, uh, when someone speaks, it's not just you're morally persuaded uh, by something, uh, but that you really take it to heart, that it becomes part of who you are, that it's 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 your conviction at the core of your being. And so when the author of Hebrews is telling us to make sure that, that we see through this, we're not refusing him who is speaking. This is where I mentioned, you know, he's picking up from Hebrews 3, because the same Exhortation is given in Hebrews 3, verse 12, uh, translated there, take care, uh, but it's the same uh, word that's used. So not refuse, take care, is having that deliberate understanding of who we are. And so this taking care in Hebrews 3, verse 12, is that warning for the wilderness community. Uh, They heard the word of God. uh, They understand who God is. They're exhorted to enter his rest And as they're exhorted to enter his rest, uh, they're not to fall away. And so Hebrews 12 has sort of followed this reminder where it it warns us uh, not to have the root of bitterness take root. Uh, So this is reminding us with with the call within ourselves that if we're not hearing the gospel, not desiring the gospel, not understanding Christ, not desiring Christ, and, and somehow there's some bitterness that's, that's taking root within us. Hebrews is saying this is how you fall away. This is how your, your, your bitterness takes over and you no longer see the ultimate outcome of the Christian sojourn. You're only looking at what you don't have rather than seeing what you do have in your Lord and your Redeemer. And so that's what, what Hebrews is reminding us. So he's saying don't refuse him. See what you have. And so that's important when you see Hebrews 3 going to Hebrews 12. When you have this correlation. That he doesn't just go from Hebrews 3 to Hebrews 12. He has this long exposition about the significance of Christ. And so this is where the author of Hebrews wants us to piece together our redemption. Because temptation to say, well, Israel had a tangible religion. It was a visible religion. They they had something that that they can look upon. They had the sacrifice. They had the altar, all these things. And Hebrews is saying: don't lose sight of what you have in Christ. Understand him. Hear the gospel. And so there's this call then for this exhortation for God's people not to refuse him who is speaking. Uh, Clearly the the speaking is this exhortation for us to hear. You can think along the lines of the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, right? First in priority. And so the call is for us to understand that we hear what God is communicating through his word. This is uh, something that we do not naturally do as human beings. What is the satanic temptation at Eden? The satanic temptation is you can be God. You can determine right and wrong, right? I mean, isn't that what Satan says to God? God's threatened by you. But Hebrews is saying, hear the word of your God. Don't turn away from him. Don't think that this word is empty. But the issue then that people can ask is, who is the him? You know, he who is speaking, or him who is speaking, as it's translated here. The the one who's speaking, some say it's Christ, because they uh, refer back to verse 24, uh, with Christ's blood speaking greater than the blood of Abel. Uh, I see the persuasion in that. But Hebrews 12, verse 25 through 29, is, is, is basically wrapping up some of the the significant general exhortation, right? It's it's a significant general exhortation. We are redeemed. We have a Redeemer. We have been set apart in Christ. We, we, We need to remember that. And so it is true that Christ's blood speaks a greater word because, as we said last time, it's the validation of God's promises. When Christ's blood is shed... It means the promises of God are confirmed and set in stone. They're not just words. It's a promise that is teeth. It's the Lord saying, See, what I have said I will do I have done in Christ. And so Abel's blood only has meaning and testimony because the blood of Christ has been shed. So that's what we said last time. But here it seems that, that God is speaking as the one who's a speaker. And so the author of Hebrews wants us to understand that the church is not starting with the apostles. The church does not start with the shedding of Christ's blood. The church does not start when Christ enters history. The church has its roots all the way back to Eden. So the people of Israel assembled at Mount Sinai worship the same God we worship. He manifests himself, he reveals himself, we know who God is. He has shown his power, he has shown his redemptive mercy. And so the author of Hebrews wants us to see this this correlation or this unity of all of covenant history that's manifested. So when Israel refuses to hear the word of Moses, it's not that Moses is a failure. They're failing to hear God. So now as Israel fails to hear the gospel and the significance of Christ, Israel meaning us, New Testament Israel, we're failing to listen to God. And so the author of Hebrews, as he wraps this up, he's saying, listen, listen to the word of your God. See his promises manifested. So certainly Christ is part of this. Spirit is part of this but ultimately it's the promises of God that have been published, that have been manifested, and that have been applied that the author of Hebrews is is exhorting us. Don't refuse him who is speaking. Heed his words. See through the message. See through the goal of this wilderness sojourn. But he goes on. So you might say, well, what's the consequence? Israel fell away in the wilderness, lost the land a couple times. Israel overall seemed like it worked out all right. The author of Hebrews is saying, well, listen, they didn't escape. They died in the wilderness. So don't minimize that typology. That the reality is, as he has said back in 2 verse 1, that here is is, is that moving from, uh, you know, 2 verse 1, he talks about drifting past the dock. Remember, we said kind of drift away. So it's it's not really a powerboat zooming past the dock. It's sort of a ship where it's lost its anchor, and it's kind of just floating and drifting away slowly. Well, here is the author of Hebrews is telling us about this rejection, this warning that's going on. It's along the lines of that drifting, but now he's adding to it. So we've understood who Christ is as a Melchizedekian priest. So Hebrews 2 is a warning, yeah, you're kind of drifting, you're kind of going out to sea, you're you're missing the mark. Now he's saying, now that you know who Christ is, don't refuse him. Don't turn away. If they didn't escape as those who were the drifters, how much more are you not going to escape in this Redeemer? If you turn away and say, "Ah, we don't need this Christ, we're going to reject him. Uh, we don't cherish him. Uh, we don't need him in any way. Because why is this so authoritative? The author of Hebrews wants us to understand it's a voice that warns from heaven. So the author of Hebrews is saying we're, we're not talking about a prophet who goes up Sinai, takes the words of God, and brings it down. Now that's authoritative. He's not minimizing the significance of Moses. Moses. But in chapter 3, he talked about how Moses was a servant in the house. Christ is a servant above the house. And so he wants us to understand with the speaking of God, the voice of God, it comes from heaven itself. And so as this word is spoken, so yes, part of this is Christ Jesus being the word, excuse me, the incarnate word from heaven that speaks The agent of redemption, but he's the one who accomplishes this promise. It's God who has spoken. It is God and his providence who has brought this about. So the author of Hebrews is saying, don't say, well, here's Israel, here we are. They have their God, we have our God. They have their way of redemption, we have our way of redemption. Hebrews is saying, you need to understand the typologies and how this is working out. You have been redeemed by the voice of God, by the power of God, by the agent of God, and by the action of God. He has brought this about. And so the, the point of verse 25 is, as I'd argue, he's seeing the Trinitarian operation of God. And I side with those commentators who take this side, this view, that it's, it's bigger than just Christ. Christ is certainly in here, but it's bigger than Christ. It's understanding that God has His deliberate purpose that he has brought about has been manifested in Christ. The promise that he spoke has been validated and verified and we're called to heed and to embrace that promise. So that's what, what verse 25 is telling us, picking up at chapter 3, building on the things we have learned. But going on then in verses 26 through 27, he wants us to understand the severity of falling away. And as he goes in in verse 26, he wants us to understand that the Lord has a purpose. Uh, the Lord is the one. He calls our attention to Sinai. Verse 26, shook the earth, right? And we talked about that. Uh, the mountain that could be touched. The mountain that, you know, you, it was a terror that any beast that touched the mountain was going to be stoned and executed. The voice of God shook that mountain. Well, now we went from the sojourn of Sinai to Zion. And that was a picture we saw last time. Now he wants us to understand the significance of Zion. He's saying, listen, the Lord shook the earth. That was a a threatening sight. And and there's a movement that we move uh, from the place of assembly in Sinai to the place of rest in Zion. That's how you can sort of see the... The typology of the wilderness sojourn with Israel, assembling at a mountain after the Exodus, and then going to a place of rest at Zion. Going on then, in terms of what the Lord wants us to understand, He wants us to understand that He's going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens. Uh, so the picture here is that final, definitive shakedown. And He wants us to, to understand that, that this earth, is broken. And that's what we need to come to grips with. So when, when Israel says, oh, or, or when, when the people in this church say, we want to be like Israel, we want the tabernacle, we want the tangible religion. Hebrews is saying, well, that's from the broken world. Those are prototypes. They're, they're not going to stand. They're, they're not going to endure. They're mere pictures of what it's going to be like in glory, but, but it's not the fullness. It's not everything that, that you think it is. And he drives us home, not only in saying that he's going to shake the heavens, right? Because that right there is telling us of a superior judgment, a superior assembly. And, and he's going to, you know, the picture here is he's shaking the heavens in such a way that the stars just kind of fall out of the sky, you know? So whatever's holding him up, God's so strong, he can just shake it like a blanket and the stars fall down like crumbs, but it's not just Hebrews that comes up with this theology. He's citing from uh, the prophet Haggai. And as he cites, <clears throat> excuse me, from the prophet Haggai, he wants us to understand what's going on in Haggai 2 or 2 verse 6 where this is cited. And the promise that the prophet has there is that Zerubbabel uh, is going to, or, or Zerubbabel <clears throat> is going to, Uh, Basically, be the signet ring of the Lord. He's going to uh, show the the power of God's rest. He's going to be the verification of God's promise. What this means is that that this king in the line of Judah is going to be the the conqueror of nations. And the Lord's going to shake the heavens and the earth uh, through this king. So the nations are going to be shaken out, all the plunder is going to fill the temple. Uh, and he's going to shake all this out, establishing Zion as the ultimate victor over the world. So this picture in, in Hebrews 12 is this reminder uh, of what the prophet already prophesied. So you can understand how Israel has this earthly mindset of Christ. He's going to sit upon the throne of David, go into Jerusalem, visibly sit upon that throne. This, they're taking Haggai, too, and saying, "This is the norm, this is the expectation of what will happen." So as the author of Hebrews takes this, he wants us to understand that as Israel understands the significance of this rest, Hebrews is saying, this is going to happen in the future, that God is going to do this. So that promise that Haggai made, it's not fully manifested, was there a bubble? That's not the full manifestation of it. The manifestation is yet to come as we go on. Because he tells us in, in verse 27, as he says, yet once more, where he's saying, indicating the removal. So he's not focusing on so much the final judgment, but he's focusing on the reality that there was a shaking of the earth, but he's saying there's going to be the ultimate shakedown of the heavens and earth. And what he wants us to understand is that this creation is so broken that it's not going to stand the final shakedown. It's going to be torn apart. It's not going to endure. And it's a reality that as the Lord shakes it down, he wants to do something. He wants the things that cannot be shaken to remain. And so it's, it's telling us that it's not just there's no correlation between us in this age to the age to come. He wants us to understand that, that there's that reminder that we need to be identified with what cannot be shaken. We have to be identified in what? The kingdom of God. That we are those who will remain into the final rest of God. So then notice that in verses 28 and 29, as, as we wrap up this chapter, There's that reminder that we're refreshed and exhorted. Because the the call here is that we're to be grateful. This is thankful, gracious uh, in in our attitude that we have the kingdom. So it's the opposite of the root of bitterness that we're not to allow to take uh, root within us. What are we to have take root within us? The thankfulness, the joy that we are members of the kingdom of God by the grace of Christ. This is what is to permeate our being. So, our catechism puts it in the third section, this is why we live out of gratitude, right? That's why uh, the authors saw the third section as being grateful, thankful for such redemption. That's all that Hebrews is getting at here. We're thankful. We're part of a kingdom that will not be shaken. It will not be destroyed. And as we hear that, we say, okay, this is our perspective. We, we actually possess something. Even as we might be tempted to think we lost everything, we don't have the temple, we don't have the tabernacle, we don't have Jerusalem, not in the way Israel did. Hebrews is saying, yes, but on this sojourn, where are you going? You're going to Mount Zion. This is your place of orientation. This is your anchor point. Be thankful. This is a mountain that will not get shaken up. This is a mountain that will endure. And so as he calls us to to be thankful... And to understand the reality of who we are. He calls us to, to have a heart. And this is a real challenge. Because he, he's really calling us to have this. He says, don't give in to the root of bitterness. That's the, the thing we've got to avoid. So how do we overcome this? Well, we know who Christ is as he's built the case. And, and, and showed us who he is. And that's, we're to take that to heart. But To offer acceptable worship. Uh, This isn't acceptable in the sense that it pleases us, or that we like it, or or it's necessarily something that that we think stimulates our joy. We're going to offer worship that honors God. This has to be our priority. So in in terms of our worship, we've got to have a worship that honors our Lord. That's our goal. That's our priority. Now in terms of how we come to worship, we offer it this acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And this is a reminder for us individually. We are to certainly have this revere and this awe of who God is. We need to understand that we are not here because we are worthy. That's a, the thing we really have to come to grips with. God doesn't know us redemption. God doesn't know us grace. God doesn't know us mercy. He doesn't know us any of it. In fact, God could leave us on our course. We'd be quite happy to be in rebellion against him and hate him. I know it's a rude thing to say, but that's the reality of who we are as fallen creatures. So the author of Hebrews is saying, come to grips with who you are as a creature who has been redeemed. And come to grips with who God is as a redeemer. Understand who he is. And understand your unworthiness to be brought into his presence. It is God who has shown his mercy. Revere this Redeemer. This all is where we have this, this marvel of who God is. Of coming before him, understanding that the great Melchizedekian priest has bestowed his mercy upon us. And understand that this God is a gracious God who has been pleased to call us into his presence for whatever reason. And he reminds us. We can say, well, I don't want to believe this. I don't want to be in awe of this God. Why would I want to be in awe of him? He says, well, note this. Our God's a consuming fire. This consuming fire is a fire that uh, deals with judgment along with the shaking of the earth, shaking of the heavens. This is judgment language you can see associated with the day of the Lord in the prophets. And so this consuming fire is, is a lot along the lines of what John the Baptist says. Hey, don't say Abraham's our father. Don't say we got the prophets. That's what Israel said. We're, we're fine. We got Abraham. We got the prophets. We don't need this Christ guy who claims to be the Messiah. John the Baptist says, you better beware because his, his cleansing fire cleanses pretty deep and can consume you. And that's what Hebrews is reminding us. People may say, well, I'm part of the true Israel. I might have the right genealogy. I might be of the right line. But whatever we want to say, I do X, Y, and Z. Therefore, I'm worthy of God's love. Another Hebrews is saying, you're not worthy of God's love. Not because of anything you have done. And this is where I go back to the story of Jacob. I go back to the warning of where Hebrews 12 begins with the Lord's disciplinary action. That's what I'd argue he's calling to our attention. That when the Lord disciplines us, it's not that he hates us. It's not that he's abstracted himself from us. But the warning in, in that discipline section is basically you look at Jacob as one who has wrestled with God. He, he fought God his whole life, tried to scheme God did all these things to pursue the promise by his own flesh, by his own strength. And then he wrestles with God. And the Lord touches his hip in the morning where Jacob has to come to grips with the reality that the Lord could have done far more in that touch than just dislocate his hip. And we find that Jacob is one who lives the rest of his life with a limp. But the disciplinary action of God was not because God hated him. It's not because God uh, just wanted to harm Jacob because he could. But he needed to teach Jacob something. That the Lord's strength comes through weakness. And the author of Hebrews, as he writes this and concludes this, the reality is God's going to win. The Apostle Paul recounts, as we've talked about before, kicking against the goats when the Lord spoke to him. The Apostle Paul wanted the Lord to take away the thorn in his flesh. Most likely many speculate it had to do with his blindness, that the Lord never fully recovered his vision. And I would reason from what we see with Jacob that it's a a big event in someone's life where the Lord intervenes and sort of reshapes your orientation, teaches you a lesson that you always think back to that event. And so it seems the Apostle Paul probably never fully recovered his sight. We don't know what the thorn is. There's a lot of theories. That's my theory. But going into that, what, what, what do we learn? It's the Apostle Paul recounting the disciplinary action of God. And what does he learn from that? That the Lord wins, the Lord gets his way. So, what Hebrews is reminding us is yes, the Lord will win, his spirit will prevail, Christ will overcome, and praise be to God for that. But the issue that Hebrews is laying out to the church is does the Lord need to use a big bat? To get our attention and to wake us up? Or is it a tap on the shoulder? And the author of Hebrews is saying only we individually know the answer to that. The author of Hebrews is saying it's far better to get the tap on the shoulder. You don't want the bat. God will win. He will prevail. But you want the tap on the shoulder. And so that's where the author of Hebrews is saying, don't be like the wilderness community. Testing God. Allowing the root of bitterness to take root. And and continually being angry and wrestling with God. He will win. He will prevail. But the ultimate way to enjoy your relationship with the Lord is pursuing Him. Being in awe of Him. Being in reverence of Him. Understanding that this is a God, for whatever reason, has decided to bestow His mercy and grace and His affection upon you, freely, freely by his own desire. And as we hear that and we take that to heart, this is a motivation to come before a great Melchizedekian priest, to peel away those layers in our lives that are not consistent, where we're not living as consistent disciples of Christ and to want to conform to him. And so as we wrap up chapter 12, and we say, really, what, what is the significance of, of the Word of God? Well, the author of Hebrews has already told us that it's that double edged sword. The author of Hebrews has called to our attention the significance of Christ as a Melchizedekian priest. And so it, it's not that God's just an angry God, it's not that God just wants to strike people dead. I mean, if God wanted to do that, he, he could do it quite freely. And to be honest, <clears throat> excuse me, we deserve it that's not what God does. And that's what the author of Hebrews wants us to understand. That's not what God does. He gives us his son, secures us in a great Melchizedekian priest, bestows his love and mercy upon us. And the author of Hebrews is saying, and sometimes the Lord actually brings his disciplinary action against us, not because he hates us, because as a father who's intimately connected with his children, desires his children To live out the gospel for him. And so now this is where the author of Hebrews is saying. Keep your anchor point in Zion. Understand that you are part of a kingdom. That will survive the ultimate shakedown of Armageddon. And you will walk into the glory of heaven. So be in awe of your God. Revere your God. Love him. Understand that he is a merciful God. In your times of doubt, in your times of struggle, what do you do? Hebrews has told us, call out to your priest. He hears you. He's sympathetic. He's a priest who continues to uphold you. And so walk in him. Find your life in him. And understand that your God is the one who promises to be a shield and defender so that we enter into his presence in the fullness of glory, passing through his consuming fire as perfected people. We are there in the joy of the heavenly banquet, in the presence of our God, knowing that we have overcome in Christ by the power of faith that has worked in us through his living and abiding word. Amen. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to our podcast. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing church that seeks to cultivate community around our Savior. If you desire to learn more about Christianity, please join us for worship each Sunday at 10 in the morning or 6 in the evening. You can do this in person or on our live stream. You can also utilize our archived sermon series on our website urcbelgrade.com or subscribe to our current sermon series through most common podcatchers until we meet again may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you